Hello world, this is SpartaCast. Welcome to SpartaCast, brought to you by the Social and Psychological Research on Technology Interaction Effects Lab, the Sparty Lab at Michigan State University. Should I say that whole thing at the beginning of every episode? I don't know, but I just did. So here we are. I'm Dr. Robbie Rattan, your host and director of the lab. Episode 17, we are ticking up 17. That was a great age. Got my driver's license, got ready for college. 1917 was a big year in the world. Um, <laughs> the, there were some plane crashes and the beginning of World War One. Um, the 17th element is chlorine, as you might know, and that's great because we're going to keep this episode clean. I don't think I used a single piece of profanity in recording it. We are talking to Ryan Feldman, one of my former students. He was in my class as a freshman and stayed in touch with me, and it's really cool that he reached out about his work related to VR and avatars in the workplace. He works with a company called Immersed VR, and we talk about his integration of the uh, the new kind of mode of technology through VR. You can have multiple screens, you can be in different work environments, and that's good for productivity, efficiency in the workplace. And, and they're, they're building this product that his clients really, really like to use. It's, it's available for free. And I enjoyed the conversation with him. It's nostalgic. It's great. Look at this, students. If you're a student listening to this at MSU or, or even elsewhere, uh, you can get your degree in computer science or information, media, communication, and get out into the world engage with these technologies that are cutting edge, that are totally novel, and that are really changing the way we interact with each other and communicate with each other. That's exciting to me as a researcher. We talk a little bit about the research and how people are being affected by these technologies. It is new territory. It's unknown. We don't we don't have a lot of evidence. Studies couldn't be conducted on many of the topics we described today. PhD students out there, take note that um, these are these are some topics that are ripe for collecting data. Um, are people actually more productive in these environments? What elements of these environments are most appreciated? Uh, are the avatar depictions influencing users in certain contexts or others? Of course, that's what I really love to think about in my research. So, um, so yeah, enjoy the conversation and please feel free to send me notes, connect with me on LinkedIn. If you're listening to this episode and we don't know each other, that's how I'm getting a lot of engagement in these episodes. Um, send me your company who's working with VR or avatars. Uh, I, I'd love to see what's happening out in the world relating to these technologies. So thank you so much and uh, enjoy the episode. Hello to Ryan Feldman, our latest guest on SpartyCast. Oh my gosh, Ryan, are you wearing a googly eye VR headset right now? I am. Yeah, I had to had to decorate my Quest 2. Uh, it came stock white, and I love I love googly eyes. So these were the biggest ones I could find that fit on the front. That's great. Isn't anthropomorphized? Um, and you also seem to be interacting with something in a virtual space. I can't see it. Um, and certainly listeners only can't see it who aren't watching the video. So tell us what you're interacting with. Sure. So I have my virtual workstation um, in Immerse. So, uh, I mean, we can talk about that a little bit later, but essentially I can stream my desktop into VR using a piece of software uh, that we've created. And it allows me to use one of my favorite features, which is our virtual webcam uh, to, you know, hop on a Zoom call. But instead of it being me or looking awkward in the headset, I can actually show you my avatar in VR. So I'm actually just, I was moving some things around so I don't punch the microphone, um, but I'm about to throw, throw my avatar on so you can see that. So when you, when you raise your hand and, and grab like that, that's you um, interacting with a menu option? But yeah, so we have, um, 
articulated hand tracking within the app. So you don't necessarily have to use controllers if uh, you don't want to. And um, what that allows me to do is interact with virtual menus and stuff just using my hands and fingers. And so I can poke this menu and- And all of the sensors are in the Quest 2. You don't have like a leap motion or anything peripheral connected in. That's correct, yeah. So we're just using the stock hand tracking from Quest 2 and using that um, within our application. And There you are, or there your avatar is, Ryan. Right, yeah. I don't, I can't see if my, um, my mouth is animating. Actually, we should, uh, we should move this down so you can see me kind of at a more natural angle. It is, it's a tad bit laggy, um, but, oh, there you go. You've moved the camera. So one thing that I think is pretty hard to, to control for is um, eye gaze. I've been told by my most loyal viewer, <laughs> Um, that I should, I should in, in my podcast recordings here, always try to look at the camera and maintain eye contact. It's hard, of course, because you look at the screen, you look away to think deeply. Um, but in an avatar, you would imagine there are algorithms that could fix that. But, um, but I don't see, see anything like that running here. And, and I don't think I see it in Animaze's um, avatar system either. But is that something you, you've thought about over at Immersed VR? Actually, yeah. So uh, I like just this week got done with some development related to eye gaze and, and eye tracking with avatars. So um, currently what we're doing is we have essentially gaze targets yeah, and those gaze targets can be placed on any number of objects. So you could place them on, an, on another avatar, you could place them on your webcam. And rather than you having to look directly at it, as long as your avatar is kind of facing that direction, it'll try to make- It'll kind of snap to it. Yeah, exactly. Before, um, like in this, in this version of the app I'm running right now, it actually doesn't have that gaze tracking. But during our testing this week, it's crazy how just that very subtle addition makes the avatar feel so much more alive. It, it was, it was kind of weird because when we implemented it, there was this whole system kind of driving it, uh, driving this, this gaze feature. And then once we got it in, it kind of just seamlessly blended into the background where like you don't even realize avatars are doing it unless you're explicitly looking for it because it just feels natural for human interaction. Um, yeah, this, yeah, that's great. And it, it really frees you up to not look right at the camera. I mean, the um, the avatar I'm running right now through animes, which I made in Ready Player Me, is not tracking because I was using, uh, I only had one webcam set up at the moment. So I was using the same webcam. It didn't grab the webcam. Animes didn't grab the webcam because Zoom was using it previously. So now my avatar is just staring straight ahead, which I guess is better than staring off into space. <laughs> but also it's, it's not moving at all. It's unnatural. So I think there are little tweaks to improve this technology. We are jumping way into the, the weeds of this conversation though. Um, let's take a step back and say, Ryan, it is such a pleasure to have you here. We know each other for a long time now, since 2017. Uh, I think you said you took my class. Yep. Uh, that was I wasn't even really supposed to be there. I was a computer science student looking for an elective to take. And um, I mean, it was a one-on-one -on -one class. So it just seemed it was, like- uh, Yeah, understanding media, uh, the media and information 101 class. You probably had 200 to 300 students in there with you. Yep, there were, I mean, it was a huge, it was a huge classroom. I remember like, you know, I think, I think it was day one, you know, uh, you just- hopped in, hopped into class or rolled into class on your skateboard. And um, yeah, that's how I, I keep, like, keep your attention, right? <laughs> I was like, yeah, like, this is, this is the place to be. I've never had a teacher do that. I'm, I'm 100% down. That's great. That's great. Uh, you might be the only one it works for others. Just pay attention because I might fall, which I sometimes do. Did I fall in front of you? 
Um, I don't think you ever fell. Okay, there have been a couple times. Um, but yeah, it's a big class, but you were a standout student. I do remember we spoke outside of class and then you were part of the gel lab, the games for entertainment and learning lab at MSU, which uh, I think was integral in kind of your development as someone who's doing VR now, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I did spend a little bit of time in the gel lab, um, but like just the game design and development specialization was, you know, the, the, probably the most integral part of my education um, moving into industry, especially the capstone side of it, where, you know, you got to work with a AAA company and learn about, you know, how the game industry actually operates and towards the end of that specialization, I started to realize, you know, there's more to games than, you know, just having fun. There are serious use cases for games. And I was actually considering going through Michigan State's um, uh, serious games master's course, uh, but quickly found myself just like 100% in it, in, in the industry. Um, and, and so never really had a chance to go back, but it's, um, you know, my experience at MSU has definitely translated pretty well into, you know, what I'm doing today. Um, I'm going to switch back to my normal camera. Hi. <laughs> All right. So uh, <laughs> your normal camera, but with your special googly eyes. Yeah, well, you're, I mean, I have my little laptop screen right here, but in Immerse and in, in the software, I actually have like a like a movie theater size screen right here where I'm just kind of looking up and there's a giant Robbie. Uh, <laughs> Might be the only giant Robbie in the world um, ever to exist. I don't think I'm, I'm bound for billboards, but I am excited to be there in your face along with other virtual screens, right? That's one of the cool things of this technology. You can set up, I think up to five screens at the same time. Yeah. So, um, I'm able, you know, just from my laptop, I'm able to emulate hardware, uh, emulate screens, and without having to plug in headless displays or, you know, a bunch of other workarounds, I can actually take my single laptop screen and expand it to up to five displays. So very um, cool. So what kind of user research have you guys done, right? Like thinking about this from a, a media psychology perspective, this, this has to be great for productivity, I imagine. It facilitates a different type of social interaction. So yeah, what are you guys seeing that you're allowed to talk about? Sure. Um, so the, the biggest thing that we're noticing is, uh, so, so we've, we've done a lot of, I would say, not, not necessarily our own research, but just like curation of, of research that's already been out there regarding um, what it takes to get into a deep state of work. And, um, you know, in the, in the day and age that we live in, TikTok, Instagram, I mean, I mean, like social media in general, people's attention spans have gone, you know, down to seconds. And so what we're trying to do is create a tool that allows you to have a really positive, impactful, meaningful, productive solo work experience. And then once we nail that solo work experience, it's natural that it lends itself to collaboration as well. So if I can be productive by myself in VR, working in VR, you know, instead of using my laptop or instead of, you know, just looking at the blank walls in my work from home office, if I'm able to be more productive in here, then naturally, once I bring the rest of my team in, we're all going to be more productive. And so what um what we've been looking you at have mainly a, sorry uh, to interrupt um yeah, no, do right. you use an avatar when you're in solo vr productivity mode that's a good question so when you're completely solo you know no webcam you're you, it's just you yourself and your work no there's no need for an avatar necessarily um because you don't need that outward representation of the self yeah. But then the moment I want to, you know, hop on a Zoom call or the moment I want to share something with one of my team members, you really do need 
they need yeah, a representation kind of, of who you yeah, are. Exactly. Yeah. Something. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like a weird case to have an avatar um, while you're solo. It's, it's, it's kind of strange. But at the same time, you might remember, Ryan, maybe from our second class in the semester, we talked about interpersonal and mass uh, communication, but we also talked about intrapersonal communication. Do you remember what that means? Can you refresh me? Intra, yeah, yeah, just like an intrastate highway is within the state. So it's communicating with yourself. It's it's posted notes to yourself. It's writing a journal. Maybe it's a blog that you only keep for yourself. You know, reminders, um, that kind of thing. And so I wonder, maybe there is space for an avatar in a solo environment. I don't know to remind you of things. Like when you tell. Go ahead. So uh, you're talking about like almost an AI assistant or someone, you know, an avatar representation of, of, you know, maybe things that we already have, like a task list or. Exactly. But, but instead of it being Siri, now it's an extension of myself. I think of it as like my external brain, right? Yeah. Um, So, I mean, right now we don't have anything like that, but one one thing that is kind of coming to the forefront now that we have some updated avatars that are easily customizable, um, people want to flex on on uh, those in the space where it's like, okay, I'm working in VR. Here's a selfie from me working in VR. And even with the competitors in the space, because Immerse does have kind of a uh, niche and we're, we're carving that out, but there are other apps out there that allow you to work in VR. Um, it, what we're seeing is that the competition is between the users themselves, almost like how people in Fortnite, you know, say you're, you're a scrub, you're just, you know, you have the stock skin, whatever. In Immerse, you know, if you have a cool customized avatar, um, and you're in a cool environment, people want to share that. And it's really interesting how, you know, we went from kind of zeroed in on the solo use case. And now that more and more people are working in VR, they want to show others what that experience is like. And part of that is the representation of, of yourself in, in that space, not just the environment, not just your screens. Absolutely. So that's interesting because you need an avatar in the solo VR in order to be social outside of VR. It's so weird. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. But um, but I guess it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like yeah. you you can't be anywhere without yourself. And so mm-hmm. well, <laughs> it's hard to be places without your avatar um, or at least an imagined avatar. Um, if, if you need to represent yourself somehow, I guess that's what an avatar is, um, according to kind of the, the scientific field too. It's a, it's a representation of the self. So of course you need it when you need to represent the self, but not if you don't, um, but the needs do arise even when you're not interacting in VR. That's crazy. That's weird. Um, we, we keep coming back to the technology, Ryan, but tell me a little bit more about you. We have students who listen to this podcast, students who are, were sitting in my class maybe uh, this semester or will be sitting in my class. So do you have any advice for them about how to get into the industry, what the industry looks like right now? And when I say the industry, um, I guess I mean broader, bro- broader than games, but also related to VR and avatars. Yeah. Um, so a little bit, little bit about me. Um, I think I mentioned this in, in the beginning, but a little bit about me. Uh, I went to Michigan State for computer science, quickly found my way into uh, the media and information college and um, ended up dabbling there quite a bit uh, between your introduction class uh, that kind of got me hooked and I was really interested in kind of media and how it impacts society and how people, you know, how it's evolved and all of that stuff. Avatars, I mean, you're, you speaking about avatars really interested me, but that wasn't necessarily my focus. I just thought that was, you know, just really cool. Um, but then I found the game design and development specialization. And so I went through that specialization, uh, which took about two years and 
that was kind of my introduction into what the games industry looked like. And I, since I was a little kid, I wanted to be a video game developer. I didn't know how, but I knew I wanted to make video games. And so, um, you know, the fact that I'm able to do that today is such a blessing, but the path was not linear at all. So I went through the game design specialization and quickly realized that the crunch in the game industry was not for me. Um, I met, you know, probably a dozen senior developers from various roles, and they all seemed to both love their job and hate their job. And so I was, I was wondering, you know, is there a way for me to work with this technology, but not necessarily make video games, especially like I was thinking about going the indie route. It just didn't seem feasible. I knew there was going to be a ton of work. Um, and the, the risk was pretty high as well. Uh, there are plenty of games that people invest a lot of time and energy into, and then it, uh, you know, doesn't end up coming to coming to much. So I started focusing on, you know, where the technology could be applied in a serious use case. And so um, my computer science capstone kind of helped with that. We made a Unity game that was focused on um, uh, taking real life data for a uh, car dealership and then gamifying that, that uh, experience of running a car dealership using the real data. And we had machine learning and some, some artificial intelligence stuff going on in the background that would actually predict what would happen if you changed your allocation of different resources and stuff using this real life data. And what was crazy to see was that like, by bringing all of these different pieces together, we had a game that was relatively fun to play it was grounded in the real world and the, the customer or, or the company that we were building this for urban science um, voice that, you know, this is something they could see themselves using, whether they ended up using it after I graduated, I'm not sure, but um, it, that was kind of my introduction into like, wow, games can be used for serious use cases. And um, after MSU, I joined um, a cohort called Hacker Fellows. Um, they base software developers uh, in the Michigan area, Detroit area, at various startups that have been vetted, and they kind of play into your skill sets. So I knew I wanted to do Unity development, serious game use cases, et cetera. And they matched me with a company um, called Alchemy that was making um, uh, VR and AR games for organic chemistry. And so, you know, from, from there, I did some work with uh, projector-based augmented reality. That was, you know, really, really interesting uh, with a company called Light Guide Systems. Can I pause you for one second? Yeah. So you'd say Hacker Fellows was pretty integral in, in helping you find your way into like the right fit, sounds like. Absolutely. I mean, the- this Are they a nonprofit? Is, they are backed by Invest Detroit. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, Hacker Fellows, they're still, their program is still running. Uh, people can still apply. Um, That's great. Well, we'll promote it for the students um, who listen. I think this is the type of information that they'll find valuable. So that's great. So they, they matched you. You found some projects that seem to fit with your interests based on that early experience. And, and then you ended up at Immersed. Yeah, long story short, uh, after, after a few years in industry, I landed a job at Immerse. Um, and I've been at Immerse for a little over six months now. Um, so still fairly new, but I am, I, I see their, you know, the product and the vision and the mission for like changing the future of work for, you know, everyone that is currently working on a computer. Um, and I'm, I'm down with that because I've, so I've been working remotely for over a year and a half now with the pandemic. And um, that was before Immerse. So now joining Immerse, we have um, a third of our team is in Austin, but the other two thirds of us, including the, all of our Unity developers are remote. And so um, we use Immerse day in and day out for day-to-day -day collaboration, 
team meetings and yeah, we could, we have discord and we could hop on zoom and, and whatever, but it's, it's really great to use the product and meet in VR and you can be in your pajamas cause you have your avatar, you know, representing you and it's, um, it's a totally different work experience. And I feel and like, is it, is it more efficient? You think? Um, there's still, there's still a little bit of friction with getting into VR sometimes. Um, like if people are on the road, it, it really only makes sense for us to meet in discord or, or something like that. We do kind of recognize those pain points and that people can't always be in VR. So, you know, part of our strategy is just creating tools that can teleport people who can't be in VR into VR. And we're also aware of some of the accessibility um, concerns. A lot of our users, when we uh, introduce things like hand tracking, um, immediately we're very vocal about how, you know, this is great, but I have a back injury and I can't be lifting my hands, you know, all the time. And so yeah. I need a way, you know, all that functionality you guys just made for hands, that's great, but I need that also for controllers. And so yeah. Um, we're getting better at kind of thinking with accessibility in mind as we're creating new features. But I feel like the industry as a whole really needs to catch up to that where it's sure. like, okay, you can, you know, anyone can make an app, but if it's going to be, it needs to be easy to use. It needs to be accessible. If we want this technology to be for everyone, well, then there's different learning curves for different generations that are coming into VR. And so Absolutely. Um, and an um, interesting problem to try. Do to you guys, do you use the Ready Player Me avatars within Immersed? Yeah, we actually um, just released that integration um, last week. So it is, it is super fresh, but, um, you know, hot off the press, but it's, um, we think it's a, it's a better strategic move to have avatars that are essentially open that our users can take ownership of. And then um, we, see, we see a vision where, you know, people aren't just working and immersed in VR. They're hopping into another app to go to, you know, like VR chat or something to go to a virtual concert or to hang out with their friends. And so what we want is for users to be able to take, to take ownership of that digital representation of the self. And then it also makes our jobs a little bit easier because now we don't have to build our own avatar creator or, or something like that. And when I first joined the company, I saw that was kind of in our backlog. And one of the things that stuck out to me, I thought about um, Sims 4 avatar creator. If we wanted something, because that's my, I, I love how you make your avatars in the Sims. I think it's great. So, so many options so many options and, and the flexibility and it's, it's, a, it's real enough, but, but, you know, not hyper-realistic that you don't get that uncanny Valley effect. Yeah. So yeah. I was thinking, well, what would it take for us to build Sims 4 avatar creator in VR? And I was like, that's a, that's a whole company. That's a behemoth. It's yeah, huge. I'm right. Not, I'm not going to, we can't and commit to doing that. And, and, and need, frankly, like you're a computer scientist, so you're probably patient enough to mess around with sliders and checkboxes. <laughs> most people just want to take a selfie, spend another couple of minutes, maybe tweaking some stuff and then upload it. And that's what Ready Player Me does. And, and I'm really impressed with that product for that reason. Yeah. And for, you know, only being around for, I think they started right around the time that Immerse started. So 2017-ish. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I could be wrong on that, but they've only been around for a few years and for their product to already be, or their offering or product, I don't know what you would call it, their tool to be already at this level. Um, it definitely kind of paves the way for what the future of, you know, representing yourself digitally will look like. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's focus on that a, a bit too, right? Like, so what is this imagined future? And maybe this should be our last question. I've taken a lot of your time. Thank you. But um, what, yeah, what do you imagine the future of avatars in kind of serious use cases? So not just work, but you said going to concerts, um, maybe like, I don't know, what else? E-commerce, shopping, dating, like what, what does it feel like to you? 
Well, I'll, so I'll speak from like the context of work because I think it's really interesting. We already have, you know, in the real world, so many restrictions on how you can represent yourself at work. There's dress codes. You can't, at some places you can't have tattoos or piercings, hair color, et cetera. Um, so uh, when we were introducing our avatars, we had to make a decision um, because Ready Player Me avatars had things like face tattoos and crazy masks and outfits. And um, we made a decision to limit those, not indefinitely, um, but we wanted to have our app have a certain vibe. And part of that was not having Takashi 6ix9ine tattoos on everyone's faces. Got to be professional. Sure. Yeah, yeah. it's the workplace. Um, but we recognized that in the future, um, that our biggest thing was the avatar creator wasn't scaffold enough. So anyone could kind of pick those options and people would just pick them to be funny. Um, but I, I see a future where you have multiple representations of yourself, you know, outfit changes, um, you know, hair color change, whatever you want to make yourself more uh, conform to whatever the, the setting is. Um, so for work, uh, I, I have my immerse t-shirt on my avatar. Um, but for VR chat, I have a ready player me avatar and um, I have like a cool, like futuristic tunic and blue hair and like, and, and so I like the, having the ability, you know, I don't have to change, oops, I don't have to change my physical appearance. I can change my digital appearance and it's, I identify the same way. Honestly, sure. I feel like it's easier for me to change my virtual hair color than it is for me to go out and, you know, I could get sick of the blue in a day, but way easier. Yeah. And, and the so thing much. is actually um, from, from research, we know that hair is one of the most important customizable features in avatars, probably because people can customize their hair more than most of the rest of their body, right? right. Your skin tone, your face shape, all that stuff takes serious work to change whereas your hair is actually malleable in that regard but even still it's not as malleable as an avatar's hair or all the other features right digitally you can update those so with work you kind of have to, i don't know some people might have different opinions but for work you really i i feel like people should be representing their authentic self so i know that you know, in role playing and stuff like that, it's it it's fun to um, kind of step into another body and identify with that avatar and you know build a whole story around it. But for work, you know, you're still you. You're just the digital version of you, and so it's um. But the, you're the digital version of professional you, presumably. presumably like you said, yeah. you would you wear your immersed VR shirt when you're at work, but. You're ready player me when you're in VR chat. So there's social you and professional you to kind of just label them. But there are different versions of you, right? Absolutely. And I feel like as the metaverse continues to fracture, we will, uh, the infinite self will become, you know, more realized where, you know, you're, you're you, but there's also a lot of different pieces of you you don't even know how to tap into yet. And I, it's, that's another that's another topic i'm very passionate sure about. sure so how do we get more people interested like let's say companies want to fashion in. let's say they they make uh clothes for work now they want to make clothes for avatars for work uh mm -hmm. how how would you recommend a company um a fashion company that that makes suits or dresses or whatever it is get engaged in this in this industry yeah well, I feel like it's a, it's a slippery slope when, you know, you start selling digital goods because to the person selling it, they're probably, there's value, but that value is kind of, uh, I don't know, I, it, it's a hard question. Um, but essentially, I feel like anyone, I, I want to democratize that. I feel like it should be uh, the users, the, the people that are in, in the metaverse, in VR, creating these assets. So that way we don't have, I mean, as cool as it would be to have Gucci, you know, release some cool, you know, VR jacket, and you get to throw that on. 
Um, if I had to pay for that, I, I don't know how I feel about that because I know that there are a lot of people out there that kind of have the same vision where it's like, if we know how to make this technology and the integrations ubiquitous, it should be super easy to create, you know, custom outfits. And, and so to answer your question about like how people should get into it, um, there are lots of tools out there now that is for specifically clothing that are specialized for making um, optimized assets, uh, cool cloth materials, taking just like a, a logo or texture and slapping it on a t-shirt. For example, the, um, the t-shirt that my avatar was wearing, that took the uh, Wolf 3D Ready Player Me team like a couple hours to put together. And I'm pretty sure it actually took like 30 minutes, but you had to upload it and, and, and things like that. So I feel like, um, you know, it, it could, it could be as open source as, as we envision it. And it's, um, it's pretty easy to start, um, for ready player me. I feel like that's a really great entry, like entry point, because what you can do is actually choose an avatar or outfit that kind of fits your style and then take those textures after you've downloaded it because with Ready Player Me, you get to own that avatar. You can then take those textures and rework them in you know, your, your normal software, whether it be Photoshop. Um, I, I'm pretty sure you can do texturing in, in Maya or ZBrush or- um, Maybe um, Anime's editor also has a tool, I think. I I'm haven't sure. messed with Anime's that much, but that seems right. like, I, that's a really cool tool to me because it, it, you just download the avatar, you have a webcam, you're good to go. Um, so it, I really do want to see this be open and created by users because I feel like that's how we make uh, a metaverse that's more accessible than the real world. And, and that's kind of yeah. that's my mission is I don't want it to turn into this dystopic future where the rich are paying, you know, $5 billion for a Gucci coat that there's only one VR asset made of. Sure, sure. Or something. It, but maybe there's a way to help um, <clears throat> help the, the users monetize their labor. Yes. So fueled yes. through some sort of advertising. I mean, it's media, right? So it's going to end up with some sort of advertising-based subsidy. Um, so, so maybe, I don't know, like Gucci isn't designing the products themselves, but they are paying to have Gucci logos made by users to be put on streamers avatars as oh, yeah. a form of advertising. That, that's an idea, right? I love the, I think it's so cool how people can make money now from just streaming. I mean, I, I don't see myself necessarily doing that, but um, just from an accessibility standpoint, you know, if you have a PC and internet internet connection, like you can start streaming. And if you have a, a cool thing that you're streaming or uh, have the bandwidth to build that audience, it is a, a feasible way to monetize, to make money, to make a living. Um, I don't know how the longevity is, you know, if, because for example, like PewDiePie, uh, he was, you know, arguably one of the biggest YouTubers at, at one point, but now has kind of tapered off in some, in some respects. And I, I see that across many other platforms where, um, you know, your, your audience gets older, you lose some people, um, you got to sometimes start fresh, start a new series or something. So I could, I could totally see, um, you know, people making assets, you know, really cool things, really cool digital assets and goods and environments and avatar, you know, additions and essentially like Patreon style asking people to support them and, and you get access to this content by supporting me. Yeah. Like um, through NFTs or something. Yeah. And the NFT thing is, is also just such an integral part to all of this because it's so easy for someone to steal your um, yeah. It's so easy for someone to just take your work and artists need a way to be able to secure that uh, digital digital assets and stuff. So, 
that's yeah super exciting man um i'm i would love to have some sort of hand in this mission this vision um of yours so let's stay in touch on that and i <clears throat> i love this podcast because it allows me to network with people like timu from uh wolf 3d who makes ready player me thanks for introducing me to Such him a nice guy yeah yeah really and and a great vision there and congrats kudos great job ryan you are an example of how msu students especially in computer science and media and information my department can go off into the world and work on these very cool cutting edge technologies um and and these aren't just like you know you're not just a coder sitting in a in a cave I'm glad you took care of your mental health and didn't jump into the games sprinting. My last episode was actually with someone who um, focuses on um, on mental health in the games industry. I don't know if you saw that. I was listening to it right before right before you called. So oh. so interesting because I I vibe with that. I was like, yeah, man, like it it it's not all it's cut out to be, but that's just a reflection on just how we approach work as a whole. Uh, as, as how humanity approaches work, um, especially like digital work. It's, it's different when it's manual labor or something like that. Uh, I was in manufacturing for a long time too. So I, I understand that world, but uh, the digital world, people are, are getting work, work to the bone across the board. It's not just the game and in, games industry, but a lot yeah. of that is, uh, it's like hurry up and wait. So if we can figure out how to make people be more productive, maybe VR can and and you know XR as as an umbrella can help us you know re get there, realize that vision a little bit. I I hope we can get you know some time back because I know for myself there's not enough hours in the day to do all the things I want to do, and if I tried to do every single one of those things, I would get burnt out. And I feel like there are companies who are trying to do maybe a little too much at once or, or telling their employees to just figure it out. And I don't know, I'm going to go off on tangents, but it, it's, uh, it, it needs to, there has to be something that changes. Uh, so that I'm way. with you. I'm, I'm totally with you. I don't think it's a tangent. I think it's super relevant, right? You're in, you're in the workspace and you're improving efficiency, but you should, uh, part of that, of course, consider mental health, well-being, the longevity of your employees in the workplace. And, um, and a connection here is a recent study we conducted, which is still under review, um, but similar findings as other research in which we looked at Zoom fatigue. Uh, have you heard of that term? You know, v virtual meeting fatigue. And it's an issue of equity. It's not just about mental health and well-being. We found, as the other research finds, that women and, um, and in our study, um, Asian uh, participants compared to white participants experience, and women compared to men, experience more Zoom fatigue, uh, about 10 to 15% more than, um, than the other group. And one solution there is potentially avatars because one major cause of Zoom fatigue is that you're constantly looking at yourself, right? You're in this camera, you're reminded of the things you might not like about your face. This is why, at least anecdotally, we've heard reports of increased um, plastic surgery requests and wow. um, you know other types of mental health issues associated with work. So an avatar could potentially make you feel a little bit more comfortable with yourself during these meetings. It can also make maybe find other ways of helping you feel less stress while you work while maintaining productivity, right? By reducing that kind of um, that sense of being watched and observed um, and tracked, even though you probably are always watched, observed and tracked, um, but, but it might not feel like it as much if you're in VR, right? Yeah, I, I actually, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, do you, have you guys done any research around um, how virtual environments actually impact um, well-being? I know I've, I've done some research myself as it relates to um, like medical patients. So people who are, who are bedridden or about to go into surgery, you pop them in VR for a little bit in a calm, immersive environment. And it actually does kind of help ease some of that anxiety um, or, or for someone who's been locked in, you know, locked in a room 
in their hospital bed, being able to put on a headset and teleport to some, some, you know, beautiful place It actually, you know, it'll put a smile on their face. And so I'm, I'm curious because we're investing a lot of resources at Immerse into our virtual environments. It's one of our most um, asked for features. Every time we release a new, new environment, people are like, this is awesome, but we want more. And I'm like, well, it's never going to be good enough. What do you guys want? So we, yeah, um, yeah. I'm just curious that, yeah. And the development costs are high, right? You've got 3d objects to render and you've got to place them and make sure everything is navigable and makes sense like making a game. Right. Um, my, my understanding of this research makes a lot of sense or connects to what you just described in ways that make a lot of sense. So I've seen research on pain management if you're um, you know, going through some sort of surgery and you're in VR and it's something that makes your arm feel hot, but you're in a, in a cold, snowy world that reduces the discomfort. Um, similar, similar types of like virtual environments that, that target specifically what's happening in, in your, that, that's detrimental to your well-being. And so exactly uh, the example you said about being trans elsewhere if you're stuck in your hospital room. Um, I would say um, maybe a general principle here is that um, the virtual environment should be designed to respond to the, the threat, the threat to well-being, right? The physical world threat. So in, in the workplace, what is that? <laughs> um, well, well, like working from home, You've had a lot of users who this is this is fascinating to me because I've never experienced this working on a product before. People went out and bought Quest 2s to use Immerse to escape their work from home office. And I it it's still mind-boggling to me because I bought a Quest 2 because I wanted I wanted some new hardware and to play games and, and stuff, and then you know everything came after. But people have our, our users are voicing, you know, I, I bought this headset for this app. Yes, this app has a ways to go, but it's way better than, you know, just working in my, yeah. in my bedroom or something. And so spice of life right there. Variety is, uh, is great. And so, I mean, maybe it's not which environment it's, um, it's which set of environments or how frequently do we need a new environment, right? Like people mm -hmm. might get tired with one. Um, other things that I think are threatening, at least in the at-home workplace, are isolation socially, right? Sometimes we just, we want to work around other people, but not be too distracted by them. Of course, that's not for everyone, but sitting in a cafe, do you have any environments where you're, where you're in a, a low like level cafe. of white noise? Yeah, we have, um, one of our most popular public environments is an international coffee shop. So we have this Love coffee it. shop that, um, you know, users are hanging out in and doing work. So our app is free. You know, anyone can download it and try it. Um, if mm -hmm. you have a Quest, Quest 2, or um, Vive Focus 3, um, you, can, you can try it out for free. But we have public environments that are accessible to our free users um, cool. in order to make your own environments uh, and invite people to them privately, you have to you have to pay, you have to subscribe. So that way, you know, well, what's the, uh, what's the cost just so people can get an expectation I think, here. I think it's, um, 14, 1499, um, right. a month. And it is targeted at people who are, you know, you're working, you're working from home. You want to work in VR. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, we've had plenty of people who have, you know, signed up for a subscription and then realized, Hey, the public room is enough for me. Like, I just want to hop sure. into some environments and, I'll mute everyone that's there, but it's cool to see some avatars and have some music in the background. And yeah, yeah. So well, um, you know, maybe maybe you can find a, a discount code and we can help you promote it um, yes. through the podcast. That that might be a good partnership here, Ryan. I've taken a lot of your time. You have a newborn at home, um, <laughs> and I feel uh, I feel partially responsible for leading you on that track because you met your wife in my class, right? Yeah. I, if it wasn't for you, Robbie, I don't know where I'd be. <laughs> yes, I'll pat myself on the back for that one. Yeah. Totally premeditated, of course. <laughs> I owe you one. Well, I guess, I guess maybe now we're even.
Uh, we might be even. Yeah. Uh, as I told you before, though, I, I do love seeing um, successful love stories in my uh, in my students. I'm officiating a wedding in a, at the end of the month here for a couple of students who I put into a research to group together years and years ago. So um, so it happens. But more more than just romantic love, I love this topic of media technologies, VR, avatars, productivity, um, the future of the workplace and well-being. Ryan, you are doing it. You're on the cutting edge. You're in the front lines making, making moves. Thank you for sharing your experience with us today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And um, yeah, I'd love to come back sometime. Rock on. Can, can we see your face for a minute too? I mean, the googly eyes are great, but <laughs> there he is. Hopefully I don't have a, do I have the mark? <laughs> no, no, you, you look like Ryan. Awesome. Uh, thank you much. And uh, let's be in touch. Please excuse the brief interruption. I would like to bring you a message from our sponsor, me. I am Robbie Rattan and I sponsor, I endorse this podcast, of course, because it's mine, but I hope you like it as well. And I encourage you to connect me with your company, your VR related workplace company, like we're talking about today, or maybe it's an avatar design company, or maybe it's a virtual goods NFT company. Connect with me. Let me know how avatars play a role in your company and maybe we can get you on a future episode get you to sponsor an episode or i can just help you think about how your company is engaging with this technology avatars vr games etc looking forward to hearing from you thanks so much if you like what you heard please like follow download subscribe and tell all the peoples who might be interested. Our producers are George McNeil and Taylor Halterman. Thank you for listening to SpartyCast. I hope to see you next time where we will be discussing the experience of avatars and self-expression uh, using an academic perspective with Dr. Casey O'Donnell. And we're going to be thinking about game developers. So we're bouncing between avatars and the workplace and game development and well-being. I hope you are finding these episodes interesting and I look forward to connecting with you on LinkedIn or elsewhere. Thank you for tuning into SpartyCast. Goodbye, world. 